You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting cityschurch.com. The Lord be with you. All right, so we got got that going. So even even if you didn't say out loud, and also with you, I'm sure that pretty much all of you uh, knew the response. This is the typical greeting uh, in many liturgical backgrounds. The priest or the pastor uh, gets up and says, the Lord be with you, and the people respond, and also with you, so thank you for that. But yet, for many of us, these types of Religious phrases or sayings can start to feel empty or insignificant over time. The greeting, the Lord be with you, is rather remarkable if we stop and think about it. Think about the ramifications of the reality that God as Lord or Jesus as Lord is with you. When you're having a bad day or you hear horrible news or when you're at work getting a bad review or you lose a sale, Uh, or when you're dealing with a screaming child, how might your heart or attitude be encouraged and helped if you reminded yourself that God is with you? Or when you have successes, like when you get a promotion, or you close a big deal, or sales are up, or you get a parenting win, how might your heart or attitude be humbled and stable if you reminded yourself that God is with you and he's in that success? Believing that God is Lord and with us is foundational to our faith. The fundamental confession of the people in the Old Testament is that God is Lord. And the fundamental confession of people in the New Testament is that Jesus is Lord. God is Lord and he is with you. And this this, uh, confession that God is Lord is the same confession of Genesis which is the very first book of the Bible. It's what we've been going through. It's in the Old Testament. And this confession that God is Lord is what we've seen in this book. And today we're looking at Genesis 39 to 40, and specifically at a a few of the first events in Joseph's life in Egypt. In Genesis 37, a couple weeks ago, we learned how Joseph was sold into slavery, and he ended up in Egypt. And Joseph specifically landed in Potiphar's domain. And Potiphar, we learn, is a captain of the palace guard. And this is where the story picks up, at Potiphar's house where Joseph is working. I'd like to make three observations from our passage uh, today, which we just heard read. Observation number one, God is with Joseph in the good times. In Genesis 39, 1 through 6, we learn that Joseph was a successful man. And there are not a lot of details of what this means exactly, but Joseph was a worker for Potiphar, and Joseph must have been doing a really good job in his role because Potiphar gave him a lot of responsibility. And the first observation here is that God is with Joseph in this success, in these good times. The text is very clear for us. The Lord was with Joseph. So in in Potiphar's domain, Joseph was incredibly successful. And we also learned that uh, Joseph was also good-looking. You know, he was handsome. Uh, He was a stud. Uh, You know, and he got things done. He was a gifted administrator. He made things happen. Uh, So it begs the question for us, was God behind all of this? Or was Joseph just simply pulling himself up by his own bootstraps? 
We could easily look at this situation without seeing God at work, and we could say, you know, Joseph's really digging himself out of a hole here, uh, no pun intended. Um, see, we tend to give credit to the person for success. That's our tendency. But the text is clear that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. God has blessed Joseph in his role with Potiphar. At one point, Joseph was a slave, possibly ready to die. His life was about to be cut short. Things are a little bit better now. Even though he's still in a foreign land and away from his father, things are starting to look up a little bit. And the author is very clear that God is at work in this prosperity. Joseph worked hard, God was with him, and success happened. I mean, that's a really good formula. Potiphar really liked Joseph. I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, Joseph's a great guy. He works hard. He has integrity. And, you know, did I mention he's a, you know, he's a good-looking guy, too, on top of it. So things are going well for him. But God is with Joseph in the good times. And that's our observation number one. God is with Joseph in the good times. Let me add an application point here. Joseph shows us how to not forget God in the good times. He's a good example for us. But isn't it interesting that typically in the good times, it is so easy to forget about God because we're so prone to take the credit so quickly. And part of our sinful nature is that we want glory. We want to receive the praise. In fact, we love to hear our names praised. I want us to think about this in our application, about our craving for attention, for praise, and specifically how we love to hear our names praised. We tend to forget about God in the good times, and we focus on our name, not God's. We love to hear our names called out when promotions are announced. We love it when those above us call out our names when acknowledging achievements. And this craving is at the heart of our sinfulness. We worship ourselves. I think back to my high school days, which is about 20 years ago or so, and I remember at points when I was playing sports, like at a basketball game, I loved to hear my name called out during the starting lineups. And I was so excited when I knew that announcers would be calling the game, and they would call out your name when you scored. And I loved it when the radio crew would show up to the game, because then my name would be called out for all to hear that was listening to the game, you know, all 20 of those people, <laughs> one of which was probably my grandma. And, uh, and, but when we think deeper on what's going on here, you realize that you want your name to be called out and lifted up instead of God's name. So in the good times, when you're successful and things are going well, like Joseph was, it's easy to forget about God's name and forget about his glory, forget about how he is with you in the success. He is behind it. The application is that God is Lord and he is with you in the good times. So our heart, our faith in God is that when times are good, we as Christians should not be arrogant, but we should be humble and praise God's name, not ours. God gets the glory. And in our text, from what we can tell, Joseph fears God and he's humble before him. And even at this point in the story, when everything is going well, he's focusing on God. And I want to challenge us to be humble before God and praise his name when life is good. So that's the first observation. Observation number two. God is with Joseph in the bad times. 
The second observation that could sum up Genesis 39, 7 through 23, in that God is with Joseph in the bad times. Joseph is hardworking. Remember, we established that. And God is with him. The text is very clear. And now there are trials, not success. As we can tell from the text that was read, there are a lot of ups and downs with Joseph's life. And in the story, we can sense that something bad is about to happen when the narrator starts describing the physical appearance of Joseph. It's not typical in Hebrew narrative to describe physical appearances unless it's important for the plot. And that seems to be the case here. The narrator describes Joseph as being well-built and handsome. His mother was Rachel, if you remember the beautiful daughter. And he is definitely his mother's son. Uh, The text says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And on top of that, he was very successful in managing Potiphar's house and running his business. So because of all of that, Potiphar's wife keeps trying to lure Joseph to her bed. And Joseph does the right thing by saying no. Joseph refused her advances, and he considered it very wrong to sleep with the boss's wife. Good job, Joseph. That's a great point. Don't do that. So he's he's good on that. Joseph's response is really good. He says, how could I do such a thing? My boss has entrusted me with everything he has. How could I do such a wicked thing as to sleep with his wife? And then Joseph says something subtle yet really profound. It would be a great sin against God. Joseph knows that adultery is a sin against God, and right now, things are going well for Joseph, and Joseph does the right thing by keeping his focus on God, even in this temptation. Potiphar's wife tempted him daily and asked for him daily, but Joseph refused. And later in the Bible, the book of Proverbs talks about the horrible consequences that follow sinful behavior, such as sleeping with another person's spouse. And Joseph is putting on display being a wise person from Proverbs. And according to Proverbs, typically when a wise person does wise things, good things happen to them. And that's true. That's the message of Proverbs. But there's also the message of Ecclesiastes, which says that bad things can happen to good people. You would think that Joseph would be rewarded. He did the right thing, and the exact opposite happens. He's thrown in jail. So here's how it went down. Potiphar's wife caught Joseph by his garment, a piece of cloth, uh, like a cloak, Joseph ran, and he left his piece of clothing behind in her hands. So now we got a little situation on our hands, um, because what is she going to do with this? He ran. She's got the clothing. What is she going to do? And she decides to call foul and falsely accuse Joseph for things that he did not do. And once again, a garment of clothing plays a part in Joseph's fate. If you remember earlier, it was a fancy coat that was shown to Jacob, as evidence that Joseph was mauled by a wild beast, and now a cloak was left behind as some sort of an evidence that Joseph was forcing himself on Potiphar's wife. So both situations were fabricated by people who meant evil against Joseph. I guess Joseph's not doing so well where clothing is concerned. There's bad luck here. Um, But it's important to know that his story is not over yet. And we will see in the coming chapters in the next few weeks how this theme of a cloak comes back and is tied to Joseph's promotion. But for now, she frames Joseph, and Potiphar listens to his wife's account, and he gets very angry with Joseph and sends him 
to jail. But even in this, this is really important, but even in this, there is grace from God. Because it could have easily happened that Potiphar could have sentenced Joseph to death. But he didn't. God is with Joseph even in these bad times. See, Potiphar is a high-ranking official, the chief of the guard, literally the chief butcher. And this type of a person in this high level of a position could have easily executed Joseph if he wanted to. But God, in his ultimate control, allows Joseph to be sent to the royal prison, which means that Joseph will now come into contact with people who come into contact with Pharaoh. It's important to note that we see here again, again, that God was with him even in prison. Genesis 39, 23 says, The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. I mean, think about that. In the place where you would least expect like success, God is there. And he blesses Joseph and allows him great success, even in prison. The warden gives Joseph a lot of responsibility and leeway. And Joseph was even put in charge of other prisoners. This guy, this guy Joseph, just must have been a baller administrator and a leader. It seems like wherever he's going, it's like put him in charge. Um, but the important observation here is that God is with Joseph, even in these bad times when he's going to prison. It's not a good time, but God is with him. So I'm going to add an application point here. It's important to note that when, jo when, when Joseph is working really hard, he's doing the right things, and God is with him, there can be two totally different outcomes. One is success, and the other is prison. And nothing changed on Joseph's part. He's working hard, and God is with him. See, bad things can happen to those who are working hard and doing the right things. Suffering and testing and trials can come into your life from the weirdest angles that you never saw it coming, and then bam, it's there. One minute you're thinking about the afternoon golf outing and getting to the first tee, and then the next minute the doctor tells you that, there's, that your baby has fluid built up in their brain. You just don't see that coming at all. Or bad times can exist because of other people's sin against you. Maybe in your case, a parent was abusive and did a lot of scary things that shook your world growing up. And the bad times, they just seem like they're ever-present. Or in your case, um, maybe the person you thought you were marrying ended up uh, changing and they turned and they started to make your life miserable with their sin. And the bad times, they just linger on, can't get out of it. You didn't do anything wrong. You were working hard, trying to do the right things, and yet the bad times, they came. And it is critical to remember that God is with you even in the bad times. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. There, that's our theme, right? The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So in the bad times, I challenge you to turn to God and be strong and courageous because God, the Lord, is with you. Even in those bad times, even in the darkness, he is with you. It's interesting to note that unlike in the good times when we tend to forget about God, when bad times come, it is so easy to put God on trial and go right after him 
and put him underneath the interview spotlight. And you start going after him asking, what are you doing, God? I mean, we've all been there, right? What are you doing, God? What's wrong with you? Like, what are you thinking? Why are you doing it this way? When the bad times come, it's easy to be self-focused, self-oriented. It's easy to get bitter and angry against God in the bad times. And I challenge you to trust God. Turn to him in the bad times because whether you like it or not, he is with you, that covenant presence. He is with you in the trenches and in the darkness. Even if you can't see him in the darkness, that doesn't mean he's not there. God is with you in the bad times. And like Joseph's story that's not over yet, your story's not over yet either. So that was observation number two. God is with you in the bad times. So observation number three, our last observation, is that people may forget you, but God does not. This is Genesis 40. People may forget you, but God does not. In Genesis 40, we find Joseph in prison. Joseph is sentenced to prison falsely. He shouldn't have been there. He didn't want to be there. But now that he is there, God is at work in his prison days. So in prison, Joseph comes into contact with two very important officials of Pharaoh, the cupbearer and the baker. All right, so these two guys, uh, the cupbearer and the baker, each have disturbing dreams one night, all right? And Joseph becomes really important to them, really relevant to the cupbearer and the baker, uh, because Joseph is confident in interpreting dreams. Joseph is clear that he interprets dreams based on God. Joseph turns to God for his interpretations. And in Genesis 40, verse 8, Joseph tells these two guys, do not interpretations of dreams belong to God? Please tell me, tell me your dreams, right? So Joseph's looking to God in this. And Genesis 40 is like tales from prison life in Egypt or something. I mean, like one guy is telling two other guys what their dreams meant. I mean, this is, this is like almost like a joke or something. Um, so the, the cupbearer goes first with his dream. His dream is of three grapevines, and the cupbearer squeezed the grapes to give a drink to Pharaoh. Okay, so in steps Joseph. Joseph interprets this to mean that in three days, the cupbearer will be restored to his position. The baker likes this. Hey, this is a good interpretation. The baker likes this interpretation, so he goes next, and he tells Joseph his dream which is of the baker having three baskets of pastries on his head, okay? But the top basket was for Pharaoh, and the birds came and ate the pastries. So Joseph interpreted this dream that Pharaoh would have the baker killed by beheading and impale his body on a pole, and the birds would come and eat his corpse. <laughs> if you heard it read, that's what Joseph says. I'm serious. I don't make this stuff up. That's Genesis 40 right there. And it's a bad interpretation for um, the baker. Uh, but lo and behold, three days later, uh, it was Pharaoh's birthday, and the two officials were called out from prison. And things happened just as Joseph predicted. But Joseph also knew that something else was going to happen. Joseph preemptively told the cupbearer, to remember him and that he should ask Pharaoh to get him out of prison. But Joseph suffers ill treatment again, and the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. I mean, Joseph did the right thing, right? He's helping these guys out. 
Joseph didn't need to spend the extra effort. I mean, think about that. He didn't have to spend the extra effort helping these guys figure out what their dreams meant. Um, And then he got nothing for it. But again, the story's not over yet for Joseph. Eventually, we'll hear in the next couple weeks, eventually the cupbearer does remember Joseph when when Pharaoh has his own dreams and needs an interpretation. Okay, so observation number three, again, is that people may forget you, like we hear in this story, but God does not forget you. So let me add an application point here. This may seem like an unimportant story in the Bible. I mean, Joseph's in prison. He's interpreting some dreams. And this gets a whole chapter. And it's a sad story at the moment. I mean, the last verse of chapter 40 says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him, which does not feel good for anyone to be forgotten. So he's stuck in prison. He was thinking he was going to help somebody out, and they forgot him. Joseph could tell this was going to happen. So there's two ways that Joseph could have responded when they asked him for help. He could have said, nah, I was falsely accused. I shouldn't be in prison. I don't care about your dreams. That would have been legit, but it also would have been a little bit selfish. Because in verse 6, we know that Joseph saw that these guys were really upset, really disturbed with their dreams. So Joseph didn't do that. He did the right thing in the smallest details in life, right? Which was sit down have a conversation with two strangers about their dreams that they had the night before. And this seems so insignificant, yet Joseph, again, does the right thing in the moment. And God cares about how you act in the smallest of conversations. Were you caring and helpful to the other person? Or did you kind of give an attitude of entitlement, like, I don't care about your dreams, I don't care what you're talking about. How do you respond in your conversations So God is Lord, and he is with you in the details of how you interact with people. So take take sales, for example. Um, I read once uh, that in Latin, sales means uh, servant. A salesperson means servant. So I really see myself in my role and my vocation of being uh, in technical sales as as being a servant. Uh, I'm helping bring my company's, you know, pneumatic conveying systems to people who can benefit from it uh, and produce products uh, for you, the consumer. So I see myself as a servant to bridge that gap. In, in sales, as a servant, you may not always think of the salesperson, but in sales, as a servant, you can, you can often kind of feel taken advantage of, kind of like how Joseph was taken advantage of. They used him and they forgot him. And in the moment... You know, customers often ask for more and more product or features for less and less money, right? And, uh, and the buyer wants more for less. And this can kind of be challenging, kind of be frustrating at times being in that role. There's a lot of details that go into it. By faith in God, it is important to do the right things in the smallest details in your vocation. For me, for the customer, Whether they see it or not, whether they remember it or not, doesn't matter. They may forget me and what I did for them, um, but God does not forget. And I want to be the type of person that does the right things in the smallest details when no one cares to remember or care to acknowledge. God sees, and God is with you in the smallest of details and in the smallest of conversations. All right, so... In summary here of these three observations from Genesis 39 through 40, they are as applied to us. So observation number one, 
God is with you in the good times. And observation number two is that God is with you in the bad times. Observation number three, people may forget you, but God does not. God remembers every detail. This leads us to the final point. It's going to bring us uh, to the table, which is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is with you. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He left his throne and he humbled himself to be born into the likeness of men. He was tempted, like we're tempted, but he did not sin. Joseph is a type of Jesus. As Joseph suffered unjustly in our story today that we heard, it points to Jesus who suffered unjustly. Joseph trusted God and did not sin, as we can tell from in our story example, and he suffered for it. Jesus, in an ultimate way, never sinned, yet he suffered by dying on the cross for us. The cupbearer forgot Joseph, and when, when Jesus was on trial, his closest friends deserted him and forgot him. Isaiah 7.14 prophesied of Jesus being the Lord with us, Emmanuel. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Joseph's life in that Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God being with his people. And John 1.14 says, The word became flesh, and dwelt among us. He is with us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for being with us. You chose to leave your throne and come in to die for us. You suffered unjustly. You didn't deserve it, but you did it. And I pray that we would accept that by faith and trust you. That's what we need. Thank you for dying on the cross to forgive us and to save us from our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the pastors can come up as we do the Lord's Supper. Here at Cities Church, we take the Lord's Supper together as a church family. Um, and this celebration is for those who truly celebrate that their guilt has been cleared by Jesus. It's for those who say, nothing I bring. It is all Jesus, and I trust him. So if that's you, partake with us. If that's not you yet, that's okay. Just let the elements pass. It's totally fine. So his body, the true, uh, true bread, let us serve you.